0: I hope you learned your lesson. You better have said that to you? That's not a good thing, you know. When I was probably around 11 years old, I was playing uh, Little League baseball or whatever. And we would show up at the field. Oftentimes before the coaches would get there, I'd ride my bike from my house to the practice field. And there's several of the kids would do the same. This one particular day that I'm there... Before the coaches get there, me and a few of the kids are just hanging out. I I start just kind of bugging this other kid, just being a pest, you know. And so I'm just bugging him, bugging him, pest, pest. I mean, just going on and on. I thought it was all in good fun until the guy turned around and just punched me right in the nose, laid me out, bloodied my nose. I was shocked that he did it, and he was shocked, too, because he wasn't the kind of kid to punch somebody. And uh, he felt so bad about it, he ran home immediately, got me a washcloth to clean up, the blood on my face and stuff. and You know, I was right, when I am riding home on my bicycle from practice that day, it would have been a good moment to have someone say to me, I hope you learned your lesson. Because it would be so stupid of me to show up the next day at practice and begin picking on that kid again. It just would have been ridiculous. And today when I tell you what the disciples are doing in our passage, I think we're going to be tempted to say, why haven't those guys learned their lesson yet? And before you come to that conclusion, I want to encourage you to join me in making sure we've learned our lesson. It's easy to be critical of these guys. I think it's wiser to ask ourselves the question, have we learned the lesson that God wants to teach us through Scripture today? Now, Back in Matthew chapter 16 and 17, Jesus makes the first two clear statements about his coming suffering and death in Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 17, at the end of that chapter, almost at the end of that chapter, Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples he's going to suffer and die. And then if you remember, pretty much immediately after Jesus Christ makes this statement about his suffering... In Matthew chapter 18, the disciples start arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Their timing's not real good. Here Jesus just poured out the fact he's going to suffer and die, and then the next thing you know, the disciples are arguing, having this conversation. They want to know who's great in the kingdom. And Jesus responds by telling them, unless you humble yourself as a child, you're not even getting into the kingdom. And you would think at that point, I hope these guys learned their lesson. Well, here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19, Jesus Christ makes the clearest statement about what His suffering is going to be like. He says He's going to be mocked. He says He's going to be scourged. He says He's going to be crucified. And on the third day, He would rise again. I mean, He lays it out for these guys. It's just amazing to me that once again... The disciples seem to not really get it, and perhaps they've not really learned their lesson yet. You see, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, he's he's literally days away from his crucifixion. It's obvious that on his mind is the suffering that's coming, but that's not at all what's on the disciples' mind. Let's look at Matthew chapter twenty. We'll read verses 20 through 24. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down, asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you want? And he said, she said to him, Command that these two sons of mine sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered and he said, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup which I'm about to drink? And they said, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink the cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not for me to give, but to those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard about this, they became very angry with the two brothers. Um, Jesus had just said to, to the disciples who told Jesus, we're following you, we've given up everything. And Jesus said to them, guys, you're going to be able to sit on thrones with me at the renewal of all things when I'm sitting on my throne and you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And so these two guys with their mother, I mean, picture this. James and John are on the, in the inner circle with Peter. Well, Peter's already had something really special said about him. And so, after they've been told they're going to sit on these thrones judging the tribes of Israel, apparently, James and John get together with their mom, and their mom brings them to Jesus in order to ask Jesus about these thrones. And what she wants from Jesus is to make sure that Jesus gives her two sons the thrones of honor. Just being on the throne is not enough for my two boys. They're on the inside group. Peter is rather special. I want to make sure my two boys get these special positions of honor. And so, Jesus, what I'd like you to do is, I'd like you to, and and you notice she doesn't really ask. You notice that she almost tells Jesus I want you to do this. Put my son, and I don't know which one she's pointing at, but this one on the left, this one on the right, or whatever, and that's what I want you to do for me. And Jesus, He says, you don't know what you're asking for, but, and you can't see this as clearly in the English text, but in the original language, we have had a shift in personal pronouns. Jesus has talked to the mother, by saying, what do you want? And then we shift, and Jesus says, you, plural, don't know what you're asking for. He immediately, once the mom comes, shifts his attention to James and John, because he knows that James and John coming with their mother is as much James and John's doing as it is anybody's. Maybe they thought they'd have more leverage with Jesus if mama said something. I don't know. But they show up, She says this, and Jesus focuses immediately his attention on James and John, and he says, you guys do not know what you're asking for. And then he asks him a pointed question. He says, are you able to drink the cup which I am about to drink? Now, we know what that cup is. Jesus just told us. He just told his disciples, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be scourged, I'm going to be crucified. Are you guys able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? Do you you guys know what you're asking by wanting to be on my left side and my right side? Do you know who's going to be there? Do you know where I'm going to be? Do you know what this cup is? Are you guys able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? And these guys are so far out in left field here, they are so concerned about their own honor that they are totally missing what Jesus is saying because they quickly respond by saying, yeah, we're able. I just think it's really interesting they don't ask, well, what exactly is that cup? What do you mean by that? Does this have anything to do with this whole idea of scourging? I mean, they don't ask a single question. And I love these guys. They're so willing to say, yes, we'll drink the cup, but they just are missing it. I think they're blinded by their own desire for honor. They want honor. And they want to do whatever it takes to get those seats. And Jesus tells them, and I love how he does this. Can we have those seats? Hey, you guys able to do this? Yeah, we'll do it. Are we going to get the seats? Oh, I can't give them to you. They're not for me to give. I just love that. It's like Jesus drew them in and then just said, hey, I can't give those to you because God the Father has already determined for who those places of honor are for. You, you guys don't have a say in the kind of honor that you get to experience. It's, it's the Father's prerogative. And he leaves it right there. And then Matthew tells us that the other ten disciples somehow get wind of what's just gone down. And they're hacked off. The word there is indignant. They are really, really mad about this. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, why are they so mad? Because James and John didn't get what they're asking for. What is it that's making these guys so mad? I mean, it'd be one thing if James and John beat them to it and actually got those thrones for themselves, and those guys would be like, man, if we'd only got there first, you know, and they'd be mad or whatever. They're mad because James and John did this whole thing, and they're, and they're, they're really going around the ten and saying, we're concerned about our honor. We're not concerned about those guys. Can you give us the thrones that are special places? I don't care what they get. Is what I want. And those ten, when they hear that, they're mad at those two brothers for what they've done. Now, because of what Jesus does next, I think it's very clear that the ten are not right either. You see, their anger over what the two brothers have done is revealing of their own concern for honor at the expense of someone else some level, they're wanting to get those places for themselves and they're mad that those guys are trying to do it and leave them out. And so they're mad and so Jesus calls all 12 of them back together. And what you have is this, this kind of perfect storm. The disciples are all mad. They're, they're mad because of this whole idea of honor. And so Jesus then takes this opportunity to teach these guys a lesson, a lesson that I hope we all will learn. Verse 20, 25. Jesus summons them and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. So Jesus says, All your life, guys, you've been watching people. Around you who have titles and authority. Use those titles and those, that authority to lord over people. To get them to do what they want them to do for themselves. You, you've been seeing this display of authority your whole life around you. And then he says in verse 26. It will not be this way with you. Whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you will be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Once again, Jesus Christ responds to these guys' desire for honor. I mean, you can't get much more self absorbed, egotistical, self centered than these guys are displaying. I mean, Jesus is just days away from being crucified. He's telling these guys about it, fixing to go get scourged and mocked by the religious leaders. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. They're going to crucify me. And all they're concerned about is being honored. All I want to make sure is I get, that, I get that best throne, Jesus. You know, that's fine, you're going to die and all, but just make sure I get that best throne. They're just so concerned about honor, their own personal honor. And once again, Jesus, in light of that, has a response. I just find it staggering that, that Jesus does not rebuke these guys. but he actually tells them how to get honor. And I'm reminded once again that this desire for honor that we all share. I mean, there's not a single person in this place that today wants to be dishonored. Not a one. And there's certainly no one in here that wants to be dishonored by God. All of us in here want to hear God say of us, I want to honor you as my child. We all want that. We have a desire for honor, and this desire is God-given. And it's a desire that we cry out for, often in the wrong ways, just like the disciples. I mean, I don't think that we're very different from these guys. That's why I hope we learn our lesson, because we go through our lives looking for honor, hoping for honor, wanting to be the guy in first place. I, I don't know if you know what it's like at the fourth grade campus, at the, uh, at the schools here and stuff, but if you, if you want to play in, in recess and and be on a particular team, if you want to be the one who's picking teams, if you want to do all that stuff, you've got to bring the ball. Because if you bring the ball, then you can name the game, and you can tell who's picking teams, you can lay it all out, because having the ball for the game gives you the authority. I mean, it's happening from the time our kids are little, all the way until you know, our ages, we're looking for ways to gain authority in this world. That's who we are. And what I believe Jesus Christ is saying to each one of us today is, I don't have a problem with your desire for honor. But if you want to follow me, you're not going to go about getting honor the way of the world. You're going to go about getting honor the way of the kingdom. And Jesus Christ said to his disciples, this is not how it's going to be with you. No, if you follow me, this is how it's going to be for getting honor. If you want to be great, then you become a servant. You know what a servant is. A servant is someone who waits on you. If you had a servant in your home and you needed something, you would call that servant and say, I want you to go get that for me. And the servant would go and get it and wouldn't expect thanks because they were just doing their duty. They have made a priority of their lives the interests and needs and wants of another, and they seek to accomplish meeting those in that person's life. That's a servant. But then Jesus says, if you want to be first, if you want honor, then you need to become a slave. That's even more serious than a servant. I mean, a servant actually has some freedom, but a slave has no freedom whatsoever zero. They are owned in order to serve their master. If you want to be great in the greatest and most significant ways possible as a creation of God, then the only way, the only path To greatness that meets the desire of your soul is the path of servanthood and slavery to those around us. That's what Jesus Christ just said. You need to serve and be a slave to everyone around you. Now, just in case we're not understanding exactly how significant Jesus is, is calling us to slavery, just how real that call is, he gives himself as an example. And he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now think about that. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things that exist. Jesus Christ is the highest of all authorities. There is no authority that is higher than Jesus Christ's authority and the authority he received from the Father. There is no one greater than Jesus. There is no one more worthy of our worship. There is no, more, no one more worthy of, of loyalty and adoration. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Son of God and He holds everything in His hands and it's through Him that everything is sustained. If anybody has a right to show up here and be served, it's Jesus Christ. What did He do? I'm not going to show up. To be served. I'm going to show up among those I created who have rebelled against me. Who don't want to receive me. And I'm going to serve them. I'm going to become obedient. I'm going to become a slave. And I'm going to be a slave to the point of my own death for their sake. You catch what Jesus just said? I'm going to come and I'm going to serve those who don't deserve to be served. And I'm going to serve them to the point where my slavery takes me to my own place of death. I'm going to give my life for sinners. So that they might be bought and set free from a slavery they can never set themselves free from. You see, the bottom line is that you and I are slaves to sin. We are slaves to death. We are trapped apart from God, in hopelessness and helplessness. We have no way out. We can't serve ourselves and get out of the mess that we put ourselves in by our sin. But Jesus Christ, who had a right to be served, came as a servant, became a slave, died on the cross, rose again so that those who trust in Him might be free from sin and death, might be ransomed, might be bought from their captivity and set free. To know and follow Jesus Christ. And just so that we don't miss what Jesus Christ is saying, he says, look, this is how I want you to serve. I want you to serve like you see me serving, Guys, I'm happy that you want to be honored. And I don't want you to let that go. Pursue the greatest honor. Guys, I'm great that... That you want to be great, but pursue the greatest greatness. And here's how you do it you become a servant, you become a slave. Just like me. Does that sound easy? Didn't sound easy to me, doesn't sound natural. Uh, in some ways, it doesn't even sound fun. If I'm just honest, if I'm around people that I don't feel like deserve anything from me whatsoever, who have ripped me off, who have hurt me, who have done me wrong, do I feel like becoming their slave? Not at all. Will I? if I have decided to follow Jesus Christ, I've already answered that question. Because following Jesus Christ means you become slaves of those around you. I hope you see that what Jesus Christ is telling us here is just basic Christianity. This is not the serious stuff. This is not for those who have graduated into the master's degree of Christianity. No. If you want to follow Christ, then following Christ means doing what He says. And He clearly says, you are not to exert your rights in the way the world does. You don't have any rights. You become a slave for everyone because I set you free. If you are a follower of Christ then Jesus Christ is saying to you, just like he said to James and John, you will drink this cup. You will drink it. If you're a father of Jesus Christ, that means that you will drink the cup that he has prepared for your life. Is what that means. Some of us are going to have a lot of difficulty because that's the cup that God has prepared for us. Some of us are going to have less difficulty than others because that's the cup that God has prepared for us. Some of us are going to suffer greatly in following Christ. Some of us will suffer little in following Christ. That's the cup that He's prepared for us. Whatever the cup that God has prepared for you in your following Jesus Christ, you need to drink it and drink it to the full. And the best way to demonstrate that you have drank the cup is to become a slave of those around you, no matter what your circumstances may be. The greatest way to display, I am drinking the cup you have for me in following you. And I'm going to show that truth By the way, I become a servant to everyone around me, no matter how difficult, challenging, overwhelming the cup may be for me, I'm still going to lay down my life and become a slave to those around me. Because there's no other way to follow Christ than simply following Him. Isn't it interesting that many people will claim to be Christians and yet divorce the concept from their mind of simply following what Christ said? Yes, I'm a Christian, but when it comes to serving those who have hurt me, I'd rather not. I'd rather be bitter at them. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but when it comes to helping those around me that that maybe don't really return the favor, don't give me any opportunity for self-advancement, nah, I'll leave that to someone else. No, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it just simply means... You follow Him. And what He said here is that if you want to follow Him, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then it starts with you becoming a slave and a servant. You drink the cup. And you serve right in the middle of it. No matter what. Because you decided to follow Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why else you... Serve as you drink the cup God has given you is because you really are concerned, as I am concerned, about honor. And if we are really honest about our hearts, we really don't want honor that only lasts for a moment. We want honor that lasts into eternity. We recognize that what Jesus Christ is calling us to do here in this passage is to stop living for today and start living for eternity. And because we want to be concerned about honor, we want to follow Christ in becoming a slave to those around us. I'll tell you why else you better want to serve and become a slave. (laughs) Because Jesus Christ already paid the ransom for everybody around us. Everybody in your workplace, everybody in your neighborhood, everybody that you're around, every single day, Jesus Christ has paid the ransom He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He paid the ransom, and he's called us to become slaves and servants of those around us that they might see that Jesus Christ paid the ransom. Do you recognize that we're not called to serve others so that they feel great about themselves? That's not the point. That's not at all what Jesus is communicating to us. I'm not supposed to go out into the world this next week and serve somebody so that they feel really special. I'm not supposed to go out and serve somebody so they feel really important. No, my serving is to be of another kind, a different world, such that when people see the level of service that flows out of my life, they wonder what in the world's driving somebody to serve like that. And it moves into the place of wanting to see the reason behind such slavery. Because this kind of slavery does not make sense in our world that's bent on self-honor at the expense of everyone else. This kind of slavery that's seeking to honor God at our expense to lay down our lives as slaves for everyone else around us makes people wonder what's going on. And here's what we do. We serve others every single day so that they might see that Jesus Christ paid the ransom. That's the heartbeat of it. Listen, you're not obeying Jesus Christ if you go to the workplace or in your neighborhood and you start doing nice things for people. That's not this kind of service. Jesus is not telling us that we ought to be the kind of people that just lay down and get walked on. He's not telling us that we ought to just be the kind of people that just do things for people because we're nice people. That's not what Jesus Christ is saying. Jesus Christ is saying, I want you to become people's slaves so that they see that I've paid their ransom." If you do not take your efforts as a slave in your world to the point of people seeing and understanding that everything you're doing is so that they might come to know Christ, you have not become a slave in the kingdom. And you will not receive the honor from God the Father. Everything you do in serving someone else must be an attempt to get them to see and understand and follow Jesus Christ who paid their ransom. What Jesus Christ is calling us to do here in being slaves and servants, he he wraps up in his last statement recorded in Matthew. He says, I want you to go and make disciples. He's been sprinkling it throughout the gospel, these these little statements, these little callings, these little commands that have to do with us pouring our lives out so that other people can see Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, the only way you're going to obey God in being a slave and a servant in a kingdom sort of way is if you... If you orchestrate your life and its efforts to the point of helping others know Christ and follow him so that they can help others know Christ and follow him, there is no other slavery that that fits this command. It's right here in the text. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. comes out of Jericho and there's a great crowd following him. Behold, two blind men are sitting by the way and they hear that Jesus is passing by and they cry out saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd it reprimanded them to be silent. But they cried out even more saying, Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Jesus stopped and he spoke to them and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, translate that as, how can I serve you? And they said, Lord, open our eyes. And Jesus, having compassion on them, he touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight, and they followed him. Isn't that interesting? You know where Jericho is? It's the last stop before you get to Jerusalem. You know why Jesus is going to Jerusalem? And here he is, his last stop before he goes to Jerusalem where he is going to be slaughtered. He's got two insignificant nobodies sitting on the side of the road who just start yelling out, have mercy on us. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people. Foremost on his mind is what he's facing when he comes to Jerusalem. And what does he do? Stop the crowd. What do you guys want me to do for you? We want to see. Okay. I've come to serve. And he gave them their sight. And what did they do? They got up and they followed Jesus. Matthew doesn't tell us this, but I, I've wondered. Do these two guys run ahead of Jesus? And because of what Jesus Christ has done for them, are they the two guys that get everybody riled up in Jerusalem so that they celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus became their slave. My heart is that we would be a church full of slaves to our world, literally laying down our own desires, possessions, dreams, and passions so that others might see that Jesus Christ has paid their ransom. If you'll learn your lesson, you never know what blind people you'll come across in the days to come who will, because of your slavery to them, See Jesus Christ and follow him. That is great honor. Nothing better than the honor in the kingdom of heaven. There's only one way to get it. You've got to follow Jesus Christ.